0: fast ye hundred score horseshoe bats, gather round the rest of you, gather round! She lies two points above the beam, look, look starboard now! See it now, the coast of Australia damn ye, our ruby princess has been kind to us! But for too long have we filled her with our heavy viral load, offshore! The cities on land flatten their curve, as we all bob about all sewn up! Both she saffed like a cussed lubber! They are sinking our pretty virus, and we are letting them! Their opinion pundits are already writing columns about how they must sacrifice their elderly for the economy! They sleep on the deck! Well, enough! Avast! Time to poke Charlie, my salty pangolins! Bats, let loose! Grab ye a pangolin! Enter port full of bay. Strike beneath wind and water. Vomiting fish. Alas, lay ho! Actually, just give me a minute. <sighs>
1: they eh? sit them on, sit yes. them, them Tell them to go and get them and put them on. Oh, the road is panicking right now. One world is panic. Sticking weapons just they tell long really yeah. like yesterday. Man, yeah. I know the why? Me tell her to mask me a mask out Mask out and some mask out he ma talk bout Talk bout I tell them mask me a mask out Mask out so long before the danger come bout Come bout Well I mask me a mask I, I me mean no business where it How we make this a mask I must a piece of fiberglass Go get your mass fast man a drop a life a loss Survive the necessary contact wait till the code pass Tell them keep it with them touching sneezing and cough I mask me a mask out Mask out and some mask away. where he ma talk bout so long before the danger put on your use the listen information tv and the
2: yeah uh, it seems to me that we really need to separate the discussion about government authoritarianism from the medical crisis itself Uh, There is a conversation to be had about how governments around the world are using this to turn into stormtroopers and to limit our freedoms. But unless you can separate that from honouring the medical nature of this crisis, then you are not doing justice to either conversation. Here, we, here it is. I'm keenly aware that it's now late April and that huge gaps in people's reading on the subject of coronavirus is really, really beginning to show. Some people have been reading medical content about a medical crisis since January. And we've all learnt a fuck ton. We've introduced this entire new lexicon, sort of related to the containment of a virus, into our our speech we've had to learn so much but some people have been learning about the medical side almost solely others have been reading about toilet paper and stimulus and shop closures and the list of things they can and cannot do and buy and such others have been learning about just the government and the freedom and the the policing side of things the others still have been reading these foaming fucking mind cookers talking about 5G and such. So what I'm saying is there's these chasms in understanding now, right? And there are agent provocateurs and fucking grifters and liars actively working those chasms to their benefit. And, you know, the human brain is uniquely geared to identify patterns in the info we receive It's a huge part of why we're as developed as we are. It's integrity to the way we think. You know, our stories are patterns. Our ideas work in patterns. We look for patterns to solve puzzles, to ease our fears, and that's good and right. But we can find patterns in fucking 5G towers as they apparently relate to viruses if we're given those tools to do so by motivated grifters. We can find those patterns in anything. I have begun to think like, that it's important not just to undermine people's distrust of the info they're given, uh, not just to ridicule them for their conspiracy rubbish, although I think the social bonds of conspiracy theory sub-scenes can also be torn up by making them look fucking shit and stupid. So I'm not saying that's not a thing, you know, like... Well, should we point out and laugh at 5G activism and QAnon shit? But also, we should try to help them to sort out the wheat from the chaff here. Like, sure, I'm not saying your 5G thing doesn't have any merit, because in a way, I know where it comes from. It comes from agent provocateurs who need you to think that 5G is a problem. So I want those people to think about this. Why does someone need you to question telco infrastructure? Consider that. Where's the benefit for that and to whom? Why is the anti-vaccine that compels people to question their own healthcare system so huge? Who might benefit from that? Consider that. What I'm saying is that for every fucking ridiculous cooker conspiracy theory out there and sub seem to go with it, there is a real conspiracy going on either substantially or tangentially related to that. It is worth asking these cookers to start thinking about that because we may be able to shift their malleable minds over to something a little more productive. This is episode nine. This episode we'll be hearing from a science journal and writer about 5G radiation. His name is Thomas Crowe. Because as I say, I can't just laugh at it. We've got to dispel something and talk about it in plain language. But first up, we'll also be yarning about media coverage of coronavirus with Josh Butler at 10 Daily. Because I'm interested in the proliferation of fucking incessant punditry through corona. Are they going mad now, these pundits? Why are they telling you to kill your grandmother? So, from the hull of the Ruby Princess, I and my armies of bats and pangolins welcome you to the pork and feed the birds. Now, if you'll excuse
0: me. Bear up, horseshoe bats! Look lively, damn ye! Every bat, grab a pangolin! There lies the cuts! He will! Right now! Stoop in the curve! In the name of the Ruby Princess! Stooping the curve!
2: I'm here with Josh Butler, a senior reporter from 10 Daily. Josh, how are you? How's the pandemic going for you, mate?
3: Yeah, good, Tom. It's been good. I've got not a lot to complain about, um, luckily and unfortunately. I'm just, you know, working from home, um, you know, keeping busy. There's a lot going on in the news and a lot of uh, things to, to watch out for and to read about and to write about and that sort of thing, so, um, you know. Not a lot to complain about online, just a bit of boredom, but, um, you know, obviously
2: doing a lot better than, than a lot of people out there who are really uh, struggling. Yeah, ma'am. Well, you know, I mean, your mainstay is in blogging and reporting and such, which you've been doing through 10 Daily, and I've appreciated it. It's good. Well, you've, you've awesome. hit on a consistent and pretty diverse range of subjects related to, you know, the pandemic, to viral hell world that, that we're in at the moment, mate. Are you doing all yeah. this from home? I mean, how does your line of work look like in a pandemic?
3: Yeah, look, it's um it's been interesting. So we um so you know Ten Daily is Channel Ten's uh, news website, um and basically our you know almost all of our entire website team is now working from home, so working remotely. Um uh you know the the, the TV journalist on the on o'clock News um. A lot of them are still in the office because they kind of need to be, you know, for technical reasons, have to be um, linked up with the shift and that sort of thing. But um, no, I'm working from home, um, you know, I'm starting a little bit of later shift these days. So, you know, a lot in the morning, get up early and read all the news, read all the, you know, bizarre things that have happened uh, overseas in Europe and the US um, overnight, And you know, since I've been asleep and trying to catch up with all the latest statistics and that sort of thing from around the world, see what's going on, see what the latest, um News is, you know, we've been watching from home for, I think, about six, four to six weeks now, I think, Um, and when it sort of first all started kicking off, there was, you know, obviously everyone knows there was just so much, so much news sort of all the time. It was like this, this, like, fire hose of news that you couldn't really get a hold of. Like, every every 15 minutes, there was something, some story would break every 15 minutes or so that would, would normally be like the biggest story of the whole day. That's every, you know, a couple of times an hour, every hour, all day long. And it was just, it was kind of mental. It was very difficult to kind of keep on top of all that sort of stuff and keep track of all the stuff that you need to know. Um, but, you know, there's all these announcements you know, every other day. We've got some new restrictions, what's happening here in Australia. We're on lockdown. You can't go to the pub. You can't go to the gym. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't meet your friends. Um, and that sort of went on for a couple of weeks. And uh, I know that I was quite um uh, you know burnt out after a little while, a couple of weeks it we was kind of uh, quite hard to switch off at night time and, and sort of switch off in your shift and that sort of thing. But um, Oh mean,
2: yeah, yeah. nice. yeah. yeah. you know, oh, in a week or? I would just stop I st- crashed and burned a little while yeah. after the first few weeks of just... Because, you you know, what you're doing is that you're reading enormous tonnes of constantly changing info to try and synthesise takes or, or yeah. recording or what have you of your own. Hey, and then after a few weeks of that, it's just as much as many people could take, no matter what line of work they were in. Yeah,
3: that's it. Like, this is, you know, obviously there's far bigger things in the world to complain to about and the far bigger things that people are dealing with. But, yeah, it's to it's, it's, kind of, you know, being sort of constantly processing that kind of information and constantly checking things and, you know, keeping up with all these horrible um, statistics and horrible sort of happenings that are going on all around the world. But um, I guess in the last probably, you know, two weeks or so, it has kind of quietened down a fair bit, especially here in Australia. Yeah. Um, we're sort of in this, uh, not holding pattern kind of the wrong word, but basically, you know, we've been locked down for a little while and we're kind of essentially waiting, and the politicians and the experts and all the rest, everyone's kind of waiting to see what, the effect will be in a couple of weeks, see what our numbers are looking like and all that sort of thing. So it's kind of been you know, a bit of a thing where they've set all the settings and they kind of have to wait. So there hasn't been a massive amount of news, um, yeah. uh, you know, for, for, from this side for, for a while. I mean, there's you know, a little bit going on every day, and little lines and that sort of thing. But, you know, even talking around the office, and something, talking to other journalists who work for other outlets and that sort of thing, there's been some days where we sort of sit around and go, wow, it's kind of a quiet day. And, you know, it, it, it seemed relatively quiet because of what, um, What's been happening, you know, in the last couple of weeks, but, uh, I, I think our sort of, um, uh, what's what I call like the equilibrium for what we think is a quiet day has sort of shifted a bit in the last yes, little while. Absolutely. Uh, you know, what, 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 would normally be quite a busy day and quite a hectic day, um, you know, pre-corona sort of feels like a, a quiet one now because we're not sort of, you know, having to do some breaking news or, you know, be on the phone every, every 10 minutes to try and work out what the latest, um, uh, disaster or, or you know, sort of updated. So, um, yeah, it's been an interesting, interesting time.
2: Well, I suppose checking in on anywhere, like, or anything at the moment is kind of article worthy because everyone's been affected by coronavirus, right?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's sort of the thing as well. Like you mentioned before, you know, that you know, I've written about, I guess a broad range of, of, of stories in the last little while. I think a lot of uh journalists who've been covering coronavirus have been doing the same sort of thing. Like one day you might be writing about, you know, what Scott Morrison's day in announcement is And it's like, here's what's happening in Victoria or in New South Wales and then suddenly you're writing something about, you know, what um, Effect it's had on the live music industry, mm-hmm. I and mean, then what effect it's had on, say, um, the people who are experiencing homelessness, and then what effect it's having on domestic violence, and what the impact having on, like, you know, people pulling their superannuation out of their accounts, and then what's happening with welfare and settling and job seeker and job keeper, and all that sort of thing. Like, there are so many elements to this, and it's um, so, you know, I'm not the first one to say this, is this is almost a cliche at this point, but it's sort of every facet of the economy, every facet of society is sort of had coronavirus bleed into it at some point. So, you know, a lot of journalists have a what's called a round or a patch. So you might be the economics reporter or you might be the health reporter or the politics reporter or that sort of thing. And I'm sort of a general reporter. I kind of look at a whole bunch of reporters because I mostly do politics but a a lot of different things. Um, But I think a lot of journalists have you know been uh, sort of covering a lot of things outside the normal area of expertise just because this thing has led into every single aspect of their life. But then on the other side too, I mean, there are a lot of nice stories happening out there as well. Like yesterday I wrote a story about, um, uh, pub trivia companies that are pivoting to doing online, um, uh, pub quizzes, um, over Facebook Live and over Zoom and that sort of thing. Um, there's, there's a lot of really nice stories that are happening out there of people, you know, trying to do, trying to do some good and trying to, you know, keep afloat and just, you know, do some nice things wherever they can and make some money, obviously. But, you know, I think these sort of things are really nice. Like, you know, there's, there's thousands of people tuning into believe, part trivia broadcasts. And, you know, they're just sitting at home and might be having you know, dinner around the kitchen table or whatever it is. But, you know, they're, they're talking with their friends on, on Zoom or on Facebook or on a house party or whatever video chat app you've got. And it's kind of like, this is what one of the trivia companies from yesterday, they're like, you know, this, this is one of the few, um you know, Vaguely normal things that you're able to still do. Obviously, you can't go to the pub. You can't meet your friends for a beer, but like you know, you can you can have a beer with your friends on a video and is the pub trivia. And it's, you know, it's not, it's not exactly the same, but it's about as close as you can get to you know pub trivia, which is something that a lot of people love to do. with their weekly little you know Wednesday or Thursday night scene. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of a lot of nice things happening here. Like you know, I think it's I think it's important to try and um, try and see some of the positives that are out there. It's not it's not all doing good. There's a lot of living glue. There's a lot of people that are doing it really rough and, you know, that's obviously a incredibly important thing that we should keep talking about and looking into and making sure that, you know, everyone is is not getting ripped off and not getting um, you know, exploited and that sort of thing. Obviously, you know, people who are renters or people who are homeless, people who are students or on welfare are have a really rough time and they, you know, need to have someone looking after them. Um, you know, something, looking out for their interests and sort of trying to expose where some dodgy stuff's going on. But um, I think there are some positives out there and, and, and I think that there could be a little bit more um, attention on some, some good things that there some good news stories about that too.
2: Yeah. Well, but I mean, we, we're agreed that it's certainly not difficult either way to find people to check in on at this time, but You know, a recent article of yours which I enjoyed called If Lockdown Seems Like an Overreaction, Then That Means It's Working. It alludes to, like, this other developing field of punditry in the time of coronavirus, which isn't like checking in with people and finding out about, you know, articles of yours like the NRL or the Easter show or whatever. It's it's about (laughs) delivering these nuclear hot takes on coronavirus. What's the overreaction take? on coronavirus that you talked about, Geoff?
3: Yeah, it's quite strange. It's, um, it's, it's essentially, it's, it's kind of this tape that's been sort of, like a lot of intellectual sort of public sphere arguments here in Australia, it's sort of, sort of bubbled up in, in America first off and was sort of exported over here and re and that sort of thing um, by our sort of Australian press. Essentially, it's kind of looking at what the numbers are about coronavirus numbers here in Australia and, you know, so I don't think anyone could argue that our response here in Australia has been very, very good, yeah. relatively compared to what's happening, obviously, in places like the US, um, parts of Europe, um, you know, parts of Asia and that sort of thing. Um, we're doing very well. I think, but I haven't checked the numbers this morning, to be honest, but like a last, uh, yesterday when I checked, we had something like, you know, low 70s, um, number of deaths. Um, I think it's about six and a half thousand cases across the whole country, which is pretty astronomical. It's pretty, pretty amazing, amazing. what we've done here. Um, but basically what these tapes are is saying that oh you know when this all started they said our hospitals were going to be overwhelmed and all these doctors are saying that we're going to have you know tens of thousands of cases and you know potentially 100,000 100, people are going to die that sort of thing what, what's this all about this is, is crap like you know um, these, these numbers aren't nearly what we thought they were going to be and we're all in lockdown and all the businesses are closing and I can't go to the parlor my dad can't go golfing all this sort of thing uh, we should open the economy back up um, and even if people die look um, it, it, it's gonna be alright because, look, you know, people die from, you know, the flu every year, or people die from getting run over by a car, or people die from, you know, falling off a building and all that sort of thing. Um, it, it's just bizarre kind of, again, there is some economic argument to it. Obviously, you know, like the, 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 unemployment numbers came out the other day, and, you know, millions of people are out of work. Millions more will be out of work. Um, uh, you know, potentially a million or two more will be out of work. Um, if these lockdowns do continue for a long time, look, you know, businesses are struggling, businesses are closing, all that sort of thing. But at the same time, like, you not have to look at places like the US, like Italy and like Spain, and you see that there's tens of thousands of people are dying. Tens of thousands, obviously, their, their population is a lot higher than Australia, and Australia probably wouldn't get that high, but it, it, it's this strange argument where they're saying the numbers are so low here in Australia, therefore the restrictions aren't necessary and weren't necessary. And it's just absolutely number one ignoring the fact that the restrictions are the reason our numbers are so low. it's not it's not that they weren't needed. it's that our numbers are low because of the restriction. Um, but also at the same time it's it, there are arguments that are being made without any uh, reference or quote or you know input or voice of epidemiologists or doctors or I mean, specialist disease experts. I mean, I have no idea. These, these people may have talked to them in the background and, you know, had their opinions informed by background interviews with these people and just not put their, their quotes on the record in their pieces. But they're purely economic sort of arguments that don't seem to look at the fact that, you know, car crashes aren't contagious, you know. what You can't compare a coronavirus, you know, risk to a car crash or walking across the road or, or that sort of thing. It's, it's a political argument and it's, it's a very strange... Sort of, uh, discussion that's being had here in Australia,
2: um, in some of the, the, the biggest mainstream media outlets that we have. Yeah. Well, you see, this is what I wonder. It's what I don't know. And uh, it's hard for me to pass this apart, particularly when I look at the, the, um, the shit stirring pundits in America that, as you said, started these takes that Australia is sort of typically does these derivative, you know, copies of, you know, mm. right wing pundits here. But yeah, I can't tell whether it's people who are being um, right-wing, I guess, economic fundamentalists <laughs> or whether it's people just being deliberately transgressive and provocative because they know that it leads to a lot of rage shares. You know, I, I don't know yeah. if people really think that, that you know. I, I I can't tell. I mean, should we should we kill our grandmother's lungs to save virgin australia in your opinion josh
3: no number one no okay <laughs> no. but it, it, it's a point you bring up and i think there is what you said there about whether they actually believe in these things or whether it's you know something just kind of get the clicks uh, that's kind of any sort of uh article that you can see that's on the internet really anywhere across the world these days um and a lot of times you know, I, I know that outlets definitely do play into, um, and I want to say, you know, I won't name specific ones. But I know that, that some outlets, that, you know, definitely here in Australia. I know that obviously overseas as well, um, do um, uh, frame their arguments in a way that they know will generate, you know, what we call hate clicks—people clicking on an article because they're so outraged by like the headline or the photo or the yeah. the, 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 the social tweets or the, the Facebook post that that shares that that story. Um, they'll click on it and they'll read it and they'll get so mad about it that they'll you know write their own angry tweet or write their own angry Facebook post and then share that article and then their friends will see it. It's it, 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 this sort of you know it's not just articles get read because they're good or because people agree with them. People will read articles because they hate them. Um, so at the same time, I think you know uh, there, there are definitely uh, there, are, there are some articles you know here in Australia as well. They've had incredibly uh, sort of inflammatory, you know, quite shocking sort of headlines. And you read the actual story, and it's quite a reasonable argument. Mm-hmm. Or you know, the, the I say story, but like you know, opinion article, or column, or whatever it is. Um, they're quite reasonable arguments, and the, 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 this, this headline they've given either totally uh, misconstrues the story, totally, um, you know, like clickbait. So, you know, in the actual meaning of clickbait, it. it, it, it sells a story that isn't actually there, like the headline doesn't correspond to the story, or it's taking a quote from a story totally out of context and on a time it looks really bad. But I think the thing as well is that um, and this is what someone said to me, and I, I haven't really sort of properly turned it over in my head yet, but the thing that we've got to think about here as well is that almost every politician um Every single public health expert, every single epidemiologist, every single chief medical and health officer, and that sort of thing that we see at press conferences—they're all about 99.5 percent in agreement on every single thing. There's not a lot of conflict in the messaging that's being given out. The only conflict that we're seeing in the messaging is Scott Morrison says one thing, and then you know he announces you know new restrictions at a press conference on say a Sunday, Sunday or something like that. And on the Monday to Tuesday, the state premiers, you know, Gladys or Daniel, Daniel Andrews, the favourite, come out and they go, yeah, we're going to do that, but we're also going to add extra stuff on top of it. So mm. the state the state premiers are being even more cautious. So it's not like they're going, oh, Scott Morrison was wrong and he's being too, you know, you know, cautious, that sort of thing. You know, he said we should close the, the gyms, but we're not going to close the gyms. They're saying, okay, cool. We're so gonna say close the gyms, we're gonna close the gyms and we're gonna close the cinemas or whatever, you know, whatever it is. That's a hypothetical example. But, you know, there's very little argument in what's happening here and there's not a lot of conflict. The only conflict coming is from sort of, you know, more fringe um uh kind of voices and that sort of thing that are saying, again, some of them are saying we should do more, we're not being safe enough, we should do more testing, we should do more um restrictions and close more things down. There's very few people that are going, the government's getting this totally wrong. They're being way too cautious with to open things back up. So I think that's the argument. That there's very little, you know, the media thrives on conflict. Uh, you know, definitely some sections media thrive on conflict and controversy and argument and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, there's a lot of argument happening here. So it's almost like these arguments being manufactured out of thin air just to have some conflict, just to go, here's a counter argument to what's in the mainstream. Here's what everyone's talking about, and I'm going to just have something going the opposite direction to that. Um, and it seems like that, that is sort of some of it for, for some of these columnists. Like some of the takes that you read lately, they seem very sort of half baked and sort of half enthusiastic about it. You can tell they're not really even putting, putting much effort into it. It just seems like they've been asked by an editor or by someone else. Oh, look, can you kind of, you know, heat us up a lukewarm take on you know, why does wrong, and they go, oh, here, yeah, all right. And they sort of bash it out. And, you know, you sound art's not really in it. They're kind of these weird arguments that, you know, not all of them. Some of them yeah, you know, well, I uh, think wrong, but they're well thought out. They've got some, you know, argument and sort of thought and that sort of thing. I think they're wrong, but there's an there's effort behind it. But some of these ones are just sort of very sort of half-baked, you know, loose-born totally takes that you think aren't really, not a lot of, their back's not really in it, you know.
2: Yeah, you don't, yeah, you don't get the impression that they really think it's like, there's a vacuum and you pointed out there's this vacuum at the moment where there isn't actually, there's a lot of consensus and there isn't a lot of partisan bickering. So you feel like they, they, they don't have much of a platform to really fight that kind of partisan or that kind of culture war fight, but yet they are in a position where their whole platform as a pundit or opinion columnist or what have you, is that they have to. Oh, I wonder if these people are so starved for new things to, to talk about or new fights to to fight that they, you know, they want pe- they might want people to kill themselves so they have new ma- opinion column material. Is the it's yeah, punditry no, it's, a death cult, you know? It, it, it is It is funny. And this is the thing. I, I've talked about this you know,
1: with other
3: colleagues, you know, other sort of journals who work for other um, outlets and that sort of thing, and, it is sort of strange, I'm not going to name names of, you know, journal but there are some, um maybe I think sort of some older journals who only sort of figure out how to cover a story in a certain way. You know, it, it, it you know, every story has to be framed in a certain number of sort of Frame. like You know, there's, there's uh, you know, these theories about there's only a certain number of, you know, story, you know, uh, fictional story tropes, like, you know, the, the princess needs to be saved and the journey and all that sort of thing. Yeah. I think there's only a certain number of journalistic sort of tropes. Um, and and it's hard to kind of get out of that mindset of thinking, that, okay, the government has announced something, therefore the next story in this saga is the opposition party comes up with this crap and the government responds to the opposition party saying it's crap and this and that back and forth and, oh, look, there's conflict here because the doctors don't agree with what the government said or the, economic, the economists don't agree with what the government said. Da, da, da. This is a very strange one in that, and I'm not sure if it's actually everyone agrees with everyone or if it's if everyone agrees with everyone because it's important to all in the same ore and to all a United Front, let's get through this together because of the country sort of thing. But either way, there's not a lot of argument in what's happening with yeah. that coronavirus yeah. response here in Australia. Everyone, well, you know, again, not everyone, like, no blanket, not everyone, but almost everyone is kind of pretty much on the same, um, on the same team here. Everyone's yeah. doing the same thing and agreeing, all that sort of stuff. Um, and it's, it's hard for, I think, some journals to get that and go, oh shit, you know, there's there's no argument here. What I write about? You know, the, the paper has to be filled tomorrow, and a certain number of formulas just have to be filled. What do we fill it with? Ah, let's try and manufacture something out of, out of, out of the air. So I think that is sort of. Essentially, why there are so many of these arguments sort of popping up in the media, it seems, when polls have been showing us that the vast, vast, vast majority of Australians actually agree with the lockdown measures. They're you know, obviously no one wants to be in lockdown. I don't want to be in lockdown. You don't want to be in lockdown. I'll rather be out of the pub with my friends or sort of thing. But we know that that's not going to happen for a while because otherwise, grandma's going to die. That sort of thing. Like we know that's for a greater good argument. I think you know, I think most Australians. Yeah, the overwhelming number of Australians are saying, we hate being in lockdown, this stuff. I hate being at home. I want to go out and see my friends. I want to go to the gym or whatever it is. Um, but you, you know that the, the um, it's for the greater good and people back it. And you look at these polls, and something like you know, 90% essentially of people are saying you know different polls are different things. But I saw the debate, like about 90% of people say that the lockdowns are either they, either they either agree with the lockdowns or they think the lockdowns should go further. Yeah. And there was something like, I think, 6 or 8% um, of this poll said that the lockdowns are too much. And and it's like I think probably more than 8% of the columnists seem to be saying that the other too much. So it's not really sort of a with public sentiment. I don't know. It's very strange.
2: Yeah, yeah. The, the columnists are a, a rare breed. They don't yeah. fit with the, the makeup of the rest of the population. But, look, Josh, I right. think uh, we do. I think times like this, there's so much consensus that, that, that the fringes get you know, it's a lot easier for fringe opinion columnists and what have you to, to, to be heard because they stand out from from the pack maybe. But I also think that some people's reading, like where are we now? We're in late April. It's been so disparate on coronavirus. But, you know, if I've been reading what medical experts have had to say about this medical crisis since January, then by now, and we've all had to learn a ton, you know, a new, a new lexicon, new new a ton of new stuff. Yeah. I, It's like we're talking a different language. If I've been reading about the medical stuff and someone else has been reading, you know, the conspiracy theorists or the death cult pundits or what have you, the the whole time leading up to now, then we're really, really at cross purposes. And I'm increasingly finding it hard to think about how to bridge that gap. Who who do you recommend, though, Josh, that people follow for good updates on coronavirus? Do you have any recommendations?
3: Yeah, look, there are there are a lot of you know, I think there's not a lot of journalists that are doing this too too badly, I think. Um but, you know, I make a I make a distinction between journalists and, and opinion columnists. Yeah, mm. there the you know, there are some journalists who write opinion columns. Um I think there's not a lot of I haven't really read a lot of opinion columns that I really have enjoyed um that much. But I think a lot of the journalists, even the ones that are writing the, these sort of bad columns, are still writing interesting stories. Um you know, I always I think the Guardian yeah, Guardian Australia basically is like, you know, the, 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 I think is the, the pinnacle of uh, what how, how Australian journalists cover things like welfare, um, inequality, um, social disadvantage, and that sort of thing. But they've been writing some incredible stories um, about people, on welfare people, you know, um, having issues with rental eviction and that sort of thing. Um, I, I really backed a lot of stuff that they've um, so, I mean, a lot of the lifestyle content is really interesting too. about know, what people are doing in isolation HM and mm. how to kind of keep saying and all that sort of thing. So, I think, you know, basically anything that's on the on the guardian makes it um, pretty, you know, A grade. Um, uh, basically, what I would say is though, um, I think it's important that, especially if you're on social media, especially if you're on Twitter and that sort of thing, I would say try and actually get the stuff straight from the source. Um, get it from some of these, you know, world-renowned epidemiologists and, and, and yeah. doctors and that sort of thing that are out there that are sort of sharing some really interesting stuff. And, I've, you know, I thought I'd put some list of people that I follow on, on Twitter for this sort of stuff. You know, there's a guy called Peter Colignon who's, um, yes. uh, you know, a world-leading uh, epidemiologist, really interesting guy, sharing some really... Um, uh, great, uh, posts every single day on Twitter. He's at, he's at the Australian National University. Um, sorry, he, he's got a, I'm not sure if he's an epidemiologist, he's an infectious disease expert, um, a professor at the medical school there. He's showing really interesting graphs and tables and that sort of thing. Um, Bill Brochel, who I've spoken to for a number of times, is really interesting as well. Um, you know, there's none, none of this one from the ABC, kind of has a bit of a, you know, everyone knows him, but, um, some, some, uh, that's kind of a you no-brainer know, no to follow him, I think, um, to kind of, Get some medical stuff, you know, filtered through a pretty easy to understand kind of lens. But look, journalists, I think, um, there's not a lot that I do. I would say keep following the Guardian. I say, even though the Guardian Telegraph is doing a good job, my, my friend, uh, Claire Armstrong, um, who, um, works here, is, is doing some really interesting stuff and, and sort of following this, this really closely. Um, Check out Sam I'm trying to do some stuff. But, uh, you certainly uh, are. I
2: enjoy your coverage, Josh, and I. I also have, I agree with you on the the some of my experiences on Twitter from from as you say, you know, subject matter experts and what have you have been the best and the most informative of this year. You know, and and just reading what. You know, for me reading from people that have been through coronavirus, having consistently read their accounts, is a better instruction yeah. than perhaps a, a million articles from third parties about how fucking terrible it is. Yeah, it's go to job. the of, o- office, sorry, to the yeah. to the hospital, it's terrible, isn't it?
3: Absolutely, yeah. Like you say, you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of always wary of some of the people. Do your own research. You sort of, you sort of anti-vaccine and do that sort of thing. But um, I, I think it's important that people, you know, follow and check out some interesting doctors and not just the ones that are interested on in social media, but you know, get your stuff directly in the source. I would say, you know, check out the Australian government statistics that are put out every day on the health department's website. I would say check out um, you know, the, the World Health Organisation um, statistics that are updated every single day so you can see what's happening um, around the world and, you know, to see how incredibly good our numbers here are in Australia and therefore, you know, following up from that, how important it is that our lockdowns and our um, restrictions have done a really good job. I want to check out um, there's a real fascinating, um, fascinating dashboard, uh, online that's done by Johns Hopkins University, um, in the state, um, which I think is probably the most, probably the most authoritative and most detailed and most, uh, after most useful statistics, um, uh, on the internet so far. It breaks down, you know, the number of, um, total confirmed cases and by, by country and number of deaths and tests conducted and all that sort of thing. So you can, you can see exactly how um, different countries are, are going well or how they're not going well. Um but um yeah, you know, I I I, I, always, I always take this sort of stuff with the greatest salt. Um you know, I have I've, I've <laughs> for, for research purposes only, I have I've joined a whole lot of our uh, coronavirus groups on so Facebook just to see what the, the general, you know, politically engaged uh, boomer crowd are talking about on Facebook about coronavirus. There's a lot of people that are sharing just the most bizarre random um, articles from outlets you've never heard of, um, they're totally wrong, totally skewed, and that sort of thing. I would just say before this is something that I've been really passionate about through this whole coronavirus thing about fake news and disinformation and misinformation and all this sort of stuff. Um, if you're going to share something on the internet, if you're going to show it to your friends or your family or you know whatever it is, I also check out the source of it, make sure it's a legitimate publication, check out the journalist who's written it, take two minutes just to do a bit of background checking on what you're actually posting out to people and spreading around. Um, Make sure that's legitimate. Make sure that they're, you know, basic it on proper stuff. Um, i the three, yeah, for anyone at any time, you know, in the history of journalism, you should do that sort of thing, but especially now, where there are so many bad actors out there who are sharing stuff for political purposes, um, just to get people rolled up or sharing it for, you know, commercial purposes. They're trying to, you know, get clicks at the website or get, you know, more followers on social media or on YouTube or whatever it is. Um, I will always, I will always check out where stuff comes from.
2: And you need, you know, you and I, we just want people to know the truth about 5G, don't we? You know, (laughs) that it's causing the microwaves to go in your guts and kill you. The truth is out there. Yeah, thanks. Josh, thanks so much, Ed. I, I, I will I will tell my grandmother to not go out and lick the handrails in Footscray Hospital to sacrifice herself for the cause.
3: Yeah,
2: and I will be putting up a link to to your series of articles on Ten Daily um, in the description for the show. Josh Butler, thank you so much for your time, mate. No problem.
3: You're good man. Good talk
2: to you. Yeah. Good morning, sir. Can I see your license plates?
4: Thank you, yes, and uh, where are you headed today, sir?
2: I'm headed to the supermarket,
4: mate. Understood, sir, and uh, what are you buying today? I'm buying baby food, we've run out. Yes, thank you for that, sir. Uh, I've made a determination that your supermarket trip is not essential, and as such, you'll be receiving a summary notice what? in the mail. Sorry, what? This summary notice may or may not include information about a $1654 penalty. Uh, You got any questions? Please uh, contact us here. I have a baby.
2: I need to feed my baby. Sir,
4: I've made a determination to the best of my abilities that that is not essential, sir. Hang
2: on, I don't care about your fucking determination. It's wrong. Baby food is essential.
4: Yes, well, that is my determination, sir, and you're welcome to dispute that. If you contact the address at the bottom of it, yeah, I do dispute that.
2: This is me disputing it right well, now. Well, as I say, You're that wrong. is my
4: determination that I've already made, sir. Mate. I'm now unable to unmake that determination. It is final. It's
2: too late it's to go back, It's too so late to go late back, to sir. Fi- so now what? You're issuing me with a fucking fine? No, sir, it's
4: not a fine, it's a summary notice.
2: It's a fine for $1,500 or whatever. It's a fucking sir, fine. Sir, a fine for $1,654
4: is, $1, me. Me. $1, is separate to a summary notice, which just may or may not include information about a 1650 dollars are you sending me?
2: Tell me. I can't understand.
4: A fine for $1,654 is separate to a summary notice, which may or may not include information about a $1,654 penalty.
2: Which
0: penalty? No, sir. A
4: summary notice is not the same it. as a fine. No, it. sir. I cannot confirm. That you'll be receiving a fine. Okay,
2: file. sir. What amount may it have in it? Sixteen hundred and
4: fifty-four dollars, sir.
2: Great, great. Crystal clear. So now what, sir? I have to go home. I can't go feed my baby now.
4: Sir, you're now free to go about your day. I'm not here to restrict your freedom, sir. I'm here to issue you with a notice, summary notice of sixteen hundred and fifty-four dollars for being out during coronavirus so restrictions. On, mate.
2: You're issuing me. With a $1,600 fine for going out for baby food to flatten the fucking whatever, but now you don't give a fuck if I actually go and do it. You're not, you don't want me to go home. You don't care now that you've given me the fucking fine.
4: Yes, no, I'm just doing my job, sir. I'm just issuing summary notices, which may or may not be for. Oh, but...
1: fucking hell! Corona, oh, 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 eh. Corona, oh, oh, eh, filet de maladie, là, on fait pas de ça, Corona, oh, oh yeah eh, prenons nos précautions pour éviter le pio, voilà, quand je te parle, il faut écouter, rappel.
2: everyone i'm talking to thomas Crow, who is a science writer and columnist thomas thanks for coming on for a yarn yeah no problem thanks for having me mate you wrote an article called why is this coronavirus such a threat tell me in your own words now though why is this particular strain of coronavirus so good at what it does mate
5: um well so this coronavirus, uh, it, it has a unique way of uh, attaching to our respiratory system, our lungs, right? So um, in as you probably read in the article, about a third of our yearly common colds are in the same family, the Coroviridae Coru-vi- family, um, which is where this coronavirus comes from. So we get coronaviruses all the time but they're usually pretty mild. But what this one is, the way it's different is, um, so viruses are generally shaped like a spiky ball. And to put it in the simplest terms, this coronavirus called SARS-CoV-2, that's the name of the virus, which gives you a disease called COVID-19. So when you're sick, that's COVID-19. It's a very good spiky ball. The spikes are really good at attaching to your cells. And then... Um they inject the the genetic information into your cell and it basically takes over the cell, turns it into a factory to make more of the virus. Um so it can attach really well, it can shoot out its genetic information really well, and then um it just detaches the uh the spike using um a protein called furin in, in your in your body. It's pretty much everywhere, but it's really it's both in the upper and lower parts of your lungs. So the, the virus can infect both parts. And that's really important because in the upper parts of your lung, if you get an infection there, it causes coughing. So you can spread it really, really easy. If it gets infection in the lower part of your lung, that's when you get the bad news. That's when you get, um, uh, a uh, really strong immune response and your lungs start flooding with re- fluids and that's that's why we're seeing so many deaths particularly in older people because you're more likely to get that Right. Um, yeah
2: there was a more that one of the theories that had come out in March or April was that this was the product so so, there was one strain I understand it of coronavirus several years ago, maybe about seven years ago that they'd located from a bat in the southern part of China, which was ninety six per cent similar. To, to the current strain, but the spiky ball or the furin sort of resonation wasn't quite as 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 effective. And but they this is where the the idea that um, two separate strains of bat coronavirus were were sort of I suppose combined in the body of maybe a pangolin or something like that. Is that still a theory that, or is that something that you agree with, or are we really just you know are we really just uh, uh, making things up as we go
5: along at the moment? Well, at the moment, people, scientists still really don't know where it came from. We do know for certain that it probably started in bats because, as you said, there's a strain of coronavirus that's very genetically similar. So they basically looked around and found the closest common ancestor was in bats. And then we know pretty reliably that, um, it was passed to another species and it wasn't, it probably wasn't pangolins. The reason pangolins comes into it is because they also have a similar strain, mm. um, not as closely related as bats. We know that bats passed it to another species and it could be, um, I mean, the most common species you normally get is like mosquitoes, um, anything that's in uh, a good contact with humans, but to be honest, we really don't know what that, uh, that intermediate species is yet. Uh, we're still looking around. Um, but it's kind of taken on a life at its own at the, at now. Um, you know, finding that intermediate species isn't going to be as big a priority as, um, just developing a vaccine because it's already passing from human to human. So at this point, it's more about learning how the virus is changing and, um, how we can adapt to it.
2: Well, there's, there's there's eight or more different strains of it now, isn't there? Right? I mean, they're substantially similar. Like for the, they haven't mutated to the point of there being different. You know, they don't have different effects, but they are nevertheless at least eight different strains of like SARS-CoV-2 at the moment, aren't they?
5: Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is with this virus, um, that sounds like a lot, but viruses evolve very quickly, and this SARS-CoV-2. Um, isn't actually evolving very fast. It, it doesn't have any selective pressures. So, um, just as like a really broad way of describing it, um, in in if it was an animal, uh, it, it it's limited by the amount it can grow by the amount of food available. And for this virus, we are its food, and we don't have any defenses against it yet. So, it can basically just grow, and the only Only things that are changing it is random mutation, and it's not doing that very quickly because it doesn't have to adapt to us very much, um, because we just have no defenses for it. Um, that being said, it's a zoonotic disease, so it comes from animals and they're generally, um, they're generally more capable of evolving once they need to because most diseases come from whatever, uh, previous disease infected that species. Most most diseases like to stick within one species because it's easier. Um, zoonotic diseases are very adaptable because they have to make a really big jump to two very different body types if you're talking about going from one animal to another.
2: Yeah, but you say that, but my mate reckons it was all made in a lab in China just to stop us so that I can take us all over.
3: <laughs> um.
5: There's definitely uh, people going around saying that, and unfortunately, one of those people is the president of the United States.
0: Mm.
5: Um, there's no, there's no evidence for it. I'm sure you know people will have their conspiracy theories about it. Um, in terms of, like, we know where. Ground Zero was, it was in a market in Wuhan province, and it wasn't anywhere near a genetics, state-of-the-art genetics laboratory, as far as I'm aware of anyway. Um, it's just, with any kind of big world-changing thing, people have conspiracy theories. Um And the problem with the conspiracy theory is you can't disprove a negative. Maybe it was. There's... Absolutely no way I can say definitively that it wasn't ge- genetically engineered, but if it was, it was a pretty botched job, and it doesn't really look like a genetically engineered virus, I guess yeah it could that be would doing, be my response
2: It could be doing a much better job uh yeah than, than it actually is right.
5: Yes, and if it was developed by China, it's an incredibly bad idea to release it on your own country. (laughs) In China, yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: Well, yeah, but how can I trust you, Thomas? How do I know you're not in bed with Big Pharma?
5: Uh, Because I don't get paid enough, for starters. Um, I guess, I mean, it goes back to it's a big question because we – we, we are hardwired to look at, um, things that we trust. So I'm obviously, through my background, very trusting of science, and I encourage everyone to be, but also being able to find out what's accurate and what's not. Because the fact is that in the past, there has been bad science. I mean, you look at cigarette companies back in the seventies used to shoot out a lot of stuff. It still happens nowadays with pharmaceutical companies and stuff. Um, there is bad science out there and people are skeptical because of that. Me, I'm not getting paid by anyone um, except my editors and I pitch them the articles. They don't tell me what to write. Um, So it's a job. It's a pretty normal job. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm not calling you from the Cayman islands on my yacht or anything, unfortunately. (laughs) Um,
2: Well, look, look, It's unedifying to ask someone well-versed in science these questions, but I am a fearless investigator, Thomas, so I am going to do it anyway. Mate, is it the 5 Tell me the truth. Is it the 5G? What's causing the coronas?
5: Uh, In short, no. (laughs) Uh, I mean, how... (laughs) How would that work? I guess would be my, my biggest question to anyone saying that is how, how would ambient electromagnetic waves create genetic material? It's very hard to create life. Maybe possibly it could mutate life, um, because certain forms of radiation do cause cancer. Um, mm. but, uh, there's, there's no evidence that 5G would, um, a virus. It's never been observed before. Um,
2: well, listen, Thomas, it, I, I know how it do- 5G causes the coronas. I've done my research.
0: Go ahead. That's yeah, sure. Think.
2: You know how they all say that? I've done my research. Yes, yeah. And, and in the, this is what they say in the groups. They go that because it's the, so the 5G's um, giving you the radiations <laughs> and that makes you... Your immune system, uh, go loopy and then that's what gives you the problems with your lungs.
5: Um, no. Um, in fact, 5G would be worse than our current, um, wireless technology for doing that because the whole, the whole benefit of 5G. So basically, I think what the problem is, is that when people talk about radiation, we have this instinctive little switch in our brain that says radiation equals bad. Um, People don't really understand what radiation is. Radiation, electromagnetic radiation, is most of your life. Um, When you turn on a heater, that heat is caused by electromagnetic radiation. On its lowest energy, it goes from a spectrum from uh, radio waves, um, which are very, very weak, uh, all the way up to um, gamma rays, which if one of those hit Earth, we'd basically be wiped out um, mm. completely. It would be a fried shell. Um, and including visible light. So at the moment, all these radio waves are less energetic than if you're looking at a um, for instance, I've got a water bottle in front of me and it's blue. I'm getting more higher energy radiation hitting my eyes from that than I would be from um, from a ambient radio signal um
2: all right
5: yeah uh so with uh well the wavelength is higher which means it has um uh, the wavelength is shorter which means it has more energy but with this new 5g what's happening is we have um it's basically a higher frequency wireless signal, right? And there's a trade-off in that. It lets you carry more information, but it also means it can't penetrate, um, solid bodies very well. Mm-hmm. So normal, really low energy radio waves can get through anything. They can penetrate the ground. They can do whatever. This one can't even really get past your skin. So when you, when, not you, but when people say it's, um, dampening your immune system and, Causing infections in the lungs, it's not. It's not getting that deep. It, it basically hits your skin. Um, the only worry that people have really had about it, and it's not been proven. There's no no real evidence that it will um, cause cancer, but uh, that it could potentially um, oxidize the cells on your skin, so you could possibly get skin cancer. But again. Um, I've been looking at this, I've been looking at multiple scholarly articles, and what you generally find is there's no conclusive evidence for it. And in fact, you you have antioxidants in your skin that are there specifically to stop you getting cancer mutations. And if you were getting hit by this ambient um, radiation from a 5G tower, it's magnitudes less energetic than just being out in the sun for a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Like our skin is designed to, not always perfectly, but it tries to fight off skin cancer as much as it possibly can. And it's used to dealing with bigger threats than just some ambient radiation from a 5G tower. So what you're saying
2: to me is that the sun, which is famous for causing us skin cancers, is more likely to cause us skin cancers than 5G.
5: Yeah, and I think that's really, I mean, it's an obvious statement, but I think that's something that gets um, muddied very quickly in these sorts of talks because people like, oh, it's a carcinogen, it can cause cancer. It's on the World Health Organization as possibly causing cancer. Lots of things are. Um, The World Health Organization's rankings are just about cancer cancers. Hazards, so, for instance, bacon and cigarettes are put on the same um the same category as like uh, as whether they are carcinogens um, This is lower than that, but if, if we want to talk about that, the risk factor of smoking cigarettes is much greater than eating bacon and getting cancer, and that's the thing. we don't talk about risk factors very often. We always talk about if it can cause cancer not how likely it is to cause yeah, cancer like the
2: binary thing, yeah.
5: Yeah, and the world around us is filled with things that are going to cause cancer, um, much more likely than a 5G tower. You know, the heavy metals that come from the exhaust in your car are more likely to contribute to lung cancer than a 5G tower would. Um, the sun, as we've already said, a lot of the foods, not just, not just, uh, processed foods, but generally there's just stuff in food that can cause cancer because cancer is just um badly replicated dna and it's really i mean we have good mechanisms in our body to stop it but there's a lot of stuff that can stuff up a cell you know um we're complex machinery
2: and what you said to me early is interesting as well and i just want to try and reiterate so the particular kind of um, uh, I suppose wavelength or frequency of 5G is actually make means it is less likely to pass through you than what? Than
5: 4G? 4G. Yeah, 4G. Um, see, this is, this is a lot of the reason that there's, I mean, it happens every time there's a new iteration of, um, wireless technology is there's not a lot of research on, um, the specific kinds of wireless technology we, we we're we dealing with when we talk about 5G and 4G towers. Um, most of the science gets done on mobile phone radiation, um, and then people kind of extrapolate. Um, they, they kind of go, oh, look, the radiation from your phones is a bit similar to the radiation from a wireless network, and, you know, there's, uh, there's info out there about long exposure times, Um, on a phone ironically because we're on a phone right now but uh, possibly causing brain tumors and other kinds of cancers and those sorts of things but it is different it's very different um, in terms of both its frequency how close you are to the source of the radiation because the phone's right next to your head it's not on a tower a few meters or kilometers away Um, and yeah uh, but we don't have enough info on how those towers are affecting us, really. I mean, in science, people always say that. It's always, you know, um, more research needed. But in this case, it really kind of is. Not not just for, I mean, cancer is not very much of a worry in terms of the greater scheme of things, but just um, understanding how it's affecting us generally. So,
2: What's the it, difference between ionising and non-ionising radiation? I don't understand. Can you?
5: Yeah, sure. So, um, if we go back to that, uh, spectrum I was talking about, the spectrum of electromagnetic radiation, as I said, on the low end of the spectrum, you have radio waves and you go up a bit and then you have, um, heat. So, uh, the heat from your body and stuff from infrared mm-hmm. waves. Um, then you get up to the visible spectrum of light. So you go all from red all the way up to blue and then you hit ultraviolet. So everyone kind of has a feeling they know what ultraviolet light is because that's the thing we get warned about from the sun all the time. Um, and once you hit ultraviolet, you go from that's the limit of ionizing radiation. Everything above ultraviolet, including ultraviolet, is called ionizing radiation, and everything below is non-ionizing. And what that means is that there's enough energy in the radiation to hit your cells and strip electrons from the molecules in them. So, um, I won't go too deep into it because, uh, you know, it's not a chemistry lesson, but electrons are important for how, our molecules in our cells bind together. And if you strip a few off, um, in a, in a way, it sort of becomes acidic, I guess, and can damage the cell. Um, can, so the molecule becomes negatively, um, Becomes less stable, I should say. And the instability from it um, will affect nearby molecules. Um, if it's if it's doing an important job in your cell, suddenly it's not doing that job anymore. Importantly, if ionizing radiation hits your DNA, then it's going to start um, changing your DNA because it's stripping um, electrons from the protein and distorting it and then when it copies itself and creates a new cell, that's when you start getting cancer because you've got a bad copy. The cell doesn't work anymore. Um, so you get a cancerous cell. Um, so, but to have that happen, you have to be going from ultraviolet or better because they have, they're energetic enough to strip those electrons. If you talk about visible light, that's not really going to strip electrons from your cells, um, from the molecules in your cells. Um, and if you go all the way down to radio waves, it's, incredibly unlikely that a, a burst of um, AM band radio would strip the electrons from your cell if you just turned on a radio and were listening to it in a car. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so that's different. It's just about energy, really. The higher up you go, the bigger the energy, the more danger it is to you. Um, but inversely, um, the less well it can penetrate things. So that's why when you have... Um, that's why they use lead to house uranium when they're storing it because it's a thick metal um, and the radiation can't penetrate it too well. Okay. Um, so that's a long explanation. Hopefully, there's something usable in there for you. Well,
2: and then so the five G radiation is non-ionising, I suppose in short. Is that
5: correct? Yeah, yeah. It's it's not even close. Um, it's it's more energetic in terms of the other radio waves like your am and fm bands that you listen to on the radio um and 4g and previous iterations it's more energetic than that but in terms of um how energetic it is in the broader scheme of things it's nowhere near enough to strip electrons from you it's not ionizing in any way really
2: well look but thomas you said you weren't in bed with big pharma but are you in bed with big 5g (laughs)
5: um no uh we have radio towers actually just down the road from us so if i if i was worried about it you know i'd definitely move um it's i mean yeah again it's just it goes back to this thing that people have biases um they have trust networks and sadly for a lot of people the internet and feature articles they read is more trustworthy than a scientific consensus of thousands of scientists over decades.
2: Um, Well, look, don't get too attached to those towers down the road, Thomas, because, you know, I'm in a few Facebook groups where they seem pretty intent on uh, blowing them up. So... That's something to look out for. Don't 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 journey too close to them. Is my suggestion. Look, I'd like to ask you a few questions from these five uh, G Facebook groups. They've all changed their name away from like "Stop Five G" <laughs> to say, Victorians for Safe Technology" and shit like that because, like, uh, yeah. yeah, they don't want Facebook to delete them. They they want to be able to freely organize a group of yoga mums to go and blow up 5G towers. But anyway, we, I have a few questions. Does elderberry syrup fix 5G health effects? Uh,
5: no, I don't know how that would work. Um, are They are they kind of say that the antioxidants in elderberry syrup would somehow block the radiation or yes, something?
2: that's right. Yeah, that's what I believe is the... the yeah.
5: Um, look I think it goes back to um when you have uh conspiracy theories like this. There's always someone very close behind selling you something um and nature you know some some kind of natural homeopathic brand charging forty dollars for what is essentially some jam you got from a supermarket coals for like five bucks, you know. Um, that that's really, you know, it's people being preyed upon for their their anxieties. And in short, no, no, it wouldn't. There's absolutely no way it would help you in any way. If, it, if 5G was causing you cancer, the last thing that would help would be Elderberry Jam.
2: All right then, Mr Science Man. What about onions on the soles of my child's feet? Would
5: <laughs>
2: yeah, that's another one. That's out there. That's a recommendation for how to, you know, protect your child from the effects of five G. To place onions I, yeah. on the soles of their feet like sliced onion. Um, I think that's a vampire thing, not a five G thing. So okay, so that's that's a scientific confirmation. That that's how to get rid of vampires.
5: Good old. Well, it's it's worth a shot, you know. <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> not the vampire expert, but
2: yeah, yeah, nor am I.
5: There,
2: um, there's a more popular one. This is a popular one: ingesting colloidal silver.
5: Oh, um... yeah,
2: apparently, if you do too, too much of that, your skin turns like a greyish blue color.
5: Um... Yeah, yeah. Um, there's no. I mean colloidal silver um there's no real bad outcomes from eating it. it's just except for the blue skin thing which if you ask me it's you know um not desirable unless Mm. you're very um you're really into smurfs or something i guess but um there's no adverse health effects to it but it's definitely not going to help you either i you know yeah it's um if you if you want to get your rocks off eating colloidal silver, we'll go ahead, but it's not really going to save you from radiation. But again,
2: um, as you point out, there's someone. There's always they've often, very often someone there selling these products, isn't there? So there's usually a grift at the other end of it. The, look, there, there's there's a lot of wellness types, and they're organising, and it's all pretty innocuous while it's all you know crystals and yoga. But lately, it's been more like. Ignoring lockdown restrictions and plotting to
5: blow up five G towers. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I don't have a problem with people um, looking at alternative lifestyles um, and indulging in that. But if you're if you're if you're substituting it for actual medical advice or scientific evidence, that's when it becomes a problem because that's when people turn to science and medicine. Because something is wrong, do you know what I mean like if it, if if you have cancer, you go to chemotherapy you don't you don't ingest mercury or whatever that tar is that they sell um because if you're the person selling that, you're endangering the lives of other people very seriously um, yeah
2: yeah um well, listen, but you know are there any good Accessible sources of scientific info or newsfeeds, you know. Look, we've had a we've had a yarn. I've asked you some dumb questions. It's been great, but are there good sources of scientific info or news feeds that you recommend people, you know, who want to understand what's going on coronavirus or maybe even five G can go to, so they're not being inundated by conspiratorial horseshit?
5: Well, um, I would recommend my science news site particle first (laughs) um so that's run by SciTech in wa um in other terms i mean you it really depends um i i've found it's more about specific writers than um Publications. I mean, you, there's the obvious ones. You can go to CSIRO news media releases. You can, ABC is generally always pretty, pretty on top of stuff. Um, but uh, it, it is difficult. I appreciate this because I, 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 I know that I have a lot of training in, um, uh, finding this stuff, finding accurate information and, and doing the research um, going to not going to a website and looking at someone's blog saying colloidal silver will save you from 5g but going to peer-reviewed papers and being able to understand them and separate what's real or what's not um it's a skill set that's very specialized, and even I get it wrong sometimes. You know, I have, I'm have i always checking with scientists who are experts in the field um, because it, it's a confusing world, and I'm not an expert on everything. Yeah. For people who are just, you know, um, looking out for their own information, I guess my advice would be um, go to reputable news sources, um, look at the language. If people are saying... Um, if people are being alarmists, that's normally when you know it's more them selling you a story than um uh them trying to get you informed about the subject. Yeah. I mean there are serious issues in the world as climate change and um you know this this is a pandemic but it's not gonna be um not gonna be the only one within the next uh by 2050, we're supposed to have about 50 million people die per year from, um, preventable illnesses from antibiotic resistance, um, antibiotic resistant bacteria. And, you know, there's, a, there is a lot of, uh, bad stuff in the world, but how it's being reported is what you should look at. If it's, if it's like stock up on toilet paper, cause you will die if you don't, um, not, not probably a, uh, Reputable source. Just, it, it's it's a lot about training your bullshit meter. I think. Yep,
2: yep. And just to confirm, you're not being paid by the government to lie to me.
5: Um, I'm not being paid by the government at all at the moment. <laughs> uh, so no. you know, join the fucking
2: club, eh? Yeah. Um, Thomas Cray, thank you so much for your time, Adam. I will make sure I put a link to the Particle website, including your um, articles on this subject and others, in the description for the episode. Thank you, Thomas.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me.
2: Thank you for purchasing my premium colloidal essence de radiation meditation package. Here we will deep dive into your spirit to cleanse it of harmful modern day radiation. The modern Western world does not prioritize wellness and we must fight back any way we can. But we have to start inside of ourselves. So please, first, we must purge our minds of outside interference. Plug in your Organite fixtures if you've already purchased them from 5GWellness.com. Please sit down and get comfortable. I want you to imagine sliced onions on the soles of your feet. Let go. Allow the sliced onion to seep into your feet. It's juices mingling with your skin. Can you feel a darkness pulled there? It's Bluetooth radiation from wireless headphones. The onion helps with that. Let's picture a gentle floating mass of colloidal silver open your soul's mouth now while being careful not to open your actual mouth watch its essence drift into you do you feel something it's detecting the 5g electromagnetic waves inside your body it's Drawing them out. It's true what they say online. A warm vermilion wave washes over you from above. Ah, it's elderberry syrup. Janet from the MeWe 5G group suggested it, remember? She was right. It really fixes
0: radiation.
2: Now you are awash in elderberry syrup, full of massive amounts of colloidal silver, and your feet are covered in sliced onion. This is good. All of this actually works on radiation. The 5G floats out of your body, Do you see it? Its darkness merges into a pool before your face. See how evil it is. The future of western techno evil. A pool of white and blue light shines out from its core. Do you see it? See its halo i want you to drift into that pool it's so white it's so blue ah it's the stop 5g australia Facebook group recently renamed to australians for safe technology the globalists are onto them Now, we are floating through that group. Feel the posts floating around you, healing you. There's Janet from the MiWi group over there. Ah, we know her. She's posting about the anti-radiation benefits Of lavender oil. Hi Janet. One post floats before you surrounded in a gentle cream halo. It's an index location of 5G towers in your area. Let's float into that index, being mindful not to dislodge the sliced onions on our feet and the colloidal silver in our blood. Locate your local 5G tower. I'm just saying, consider what needs to be done to protect your health and your wellness. Write the location of the tower down into your mind. I'm not saying to blow it up because that would spark the interest of the AFP. Just think about wellness. Feel the onion gently releasing from your feet and the silver gently draining from your bloodstream. You are logging off from Facebook in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. Load up the Candy Crush app. 4. Three.
0: Social distance. Refrain from shaking hands. That is a plan. You see me? I stay inside. I be outside. Don't catch none. Covid making the young. I don't catch that Police locking the door. So I don't catch none. The, the doctor paid. I go scoping that. I have full sickness. So see me at home. See me at home. Devil Steps
6: is a podcast about taking action. Season one offered insights into how individuals can join movements. Season two focuses on the ways people can work together to build these movements. Organizing in groups presents many challenges. How do you care for each other and protect each other in the midst of political struggle? How do you lift up the voices of everyone in your group? How do you work through the inevitable disagreements? All of these questions have complicated answers. As I explore these questions, you'll hear voices and stories from my community in New York City, spotlighting a range of organizers from the Metropolitan Anarchist Coordinating Council, Outlive Them, Pop Gem, Democratic Socialists of America Libertarian Socialist Caucus, and more. Just like the first season, I return to Paulo Freire's quote, What can we do today so that we can do tomorrow what we cannot do today? but this time with the realization that building our capacity will necessarily happen alongside others. Find Rebel Steps on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts, and check us out on Twitter or Patreon.
2: Thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Pork and Featherbirds. I am Tom Taneke. I am your host, and I am the captain of the plague hulk, the Ruby Princess. Look off the shore. Look off the coast of Australia. You can see me. If you enjoy this content or get something out of it, please consider supporting me on Patreon. Chuck me a clam or two if you can. Please share the Pork and Feed the Birds around. Uh, Leave a review on your favourite app store if you can, Um, and and I would really appreciate it if you'd tell your mates about it.
1: Um,
2: Thank you so much. See you next fortnight.